Until he takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team. You're always close to the care that you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. I'm Tyler Miller, and you're listening to The Sound of the Loons. Depending on when this finds you, welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. I'm Steve McPherson, and today is another Flintstones Jetsons crossover episode with uh, Callum Williams and Kendra D. St. Aubin. Uh, as we look back at the first, I believe it's sixth of the season, roughly, I suppose. Uh, it's been a real, uh, I believe I said this in a meeting the other day, it's a real how it started, how it's going beginning to the season for Minnesota United with uh, starting with four games, uh, four game losing streak, and then now two wins in a row. Uh, so it's been, um, it's, I would say it's been up and down, but it's really literally just been down and then up. So uh, let's let's start here. Welcome, guys. Uh, it's it's always fun to bring uh, everybody together who's who's podcasting from Minnesota United. Um, first of all, uh, Kendra, welcome. How is it going? Let, let's let's just start with the personal check in. How are you doing this week? I'm doing great. Uh, we were out at training yesterday and it was a glorious day. A nice little temperature, a little rain here, getting everything a little bit greener and uh, loving the heat and the humidity. I'll take it. I know we have a short stint of it here in Minnesota, so all good and coming off two wins in a row, which, you know, I think everybody brightens everybody's mood just a little bit. Yeah, the last time uh, uh, Cal and I had a podcast, we were talking about the ramifications of four losses in a row and what if it's six losses in a row. So it's it's quite a turnaround. For, personally, I hate the heat and humidity, but I can understand people have different opinions. Uh, Cal, what's your feel right now? Yeah, look, training was very good, as Kendra insinuated yesterday, but I was distinctly miserable because of heat and humidity. Um, my pale English-Irish skin just doesn't do very well at all in it. And it's just pretty gross for me. But the football was lovely. It was great to sit back and, and watch the team have a, a really competitive session. Um, uh, one or two players were, was, were able to have a little bit of a rest, which was good to see. Um, but I'm, I'm doing very well, Steve. And uh, thankful that we've, we've got a little bit of an off weekend because it has been um, go, go, go. Uh, it's probably the best way to describe it. Um, and then looking forward to the game against Real Salt Lake before the international break. Yeah, uh, let's. Um, I'm already going to go off script here. Um, let's talk a little bit about training because it's one of those things that you know uh, it, you guys have gotten to go back for the first time. I expect I did not go this week, but I expect before too long I'll be back uh, to check out training. Um, you know, maybe it gives you a, a little better sense again of like what you have missed by not being at training and what sort of training can help you get a grip on. I mean, obviously there's things that, you know, I mean, we're not talking about specifics as far as like formations or anything like that, but like Kendra, let's start with you. What do you see at training sort of week in and week out that you've, you've missed it when you haven't been able to be there and now you get to be there? I take a lot from training and and trust me, it depends on the day, right? I mean, we know that depending on the day, what they've got going on that week. I mean, as Cal insinuated yesterday was a very energetic training session, knowing that they don't have a game this week. They did a lot of fitness, but fitness in playing. They did 1v1s to big goals and it went to 2v2, 3v3, that kind of stuff. And it's just nonstop where Sean McCauley, the assistant coach, just keeps ditching, you know, throwing balls out there um, and just keeps it going. So just fun kind of stuff like that, the competitive nature. But what I what I gain a lot from training and not even so much as just formations is the chemistry amongst the players, the relationship that they have with each other, who is clicking, who is not, who's having an off day. Is there a little bit of a scuffle? The competitive nature, the personalities um, come through in, in training sessions. And um, I think that's what I glean a lot from practice is just sort of reading the vibe. And then, of course, when it's match day minus one, 
we get to see more of the formation, maybe who's, you know, dealing with a little bit of an injury, a niggle or something like that. And, and, and most importantly, hearing what Adrian's conversations are with the players and what he wants from them tactically going into a game. So I glean a lot from going to practice. I've always been that way. Um, when I covered baseball, basketball, anything, I would go to morning skate. I would go to morning shoot around. I'd go to batting practice. Some days you get nothing out of it. And some days you get a ton out of it, but you never know. And you don't want to miss that, that day that something might happen. Yeah. What about you, Cal? Yeah, I, I think it's more important for the analyst, really, as Kindred was saying a little earlier on, because from a tactical point of view, we do get a lot from going to training. And we're very fortunate with the relationship we have with the coaching staff at Minnesota United that they will just tell us stuff. Um, and and I, I don't know why. Obviously, we've all worked together for a number of years now, and there's there's an element of comfort, for sure. Um, but, you know, there was there was one session, was it last week, was it, Kay, where we got absolutely nothing from training, and it was just light, soccer, tennis, just fairly pointless, really, from our point of view. Uh, I'm sure the players got something from it. Um and, and, and we had no idea um, what the team was, how they were going to approach it at all. Uh, and the assistant manager, Ian Fuller, came over to us and just ran through everything with us. And, and it was just such um, such wonderful insight that you, you don't get if you don't go to training and if you don't have these relationships. So, as I said, I think it's more important for the analysts, for sure, from a tactical standpoint. But, but from, from a play-by-play perspective, it, it can be incredibly informative. And obviously, that's, that's the role, is to provide information. So... Um, it's uh, they can be incredibly useful, and it's really good that we get to go back to them on a regular basis. And I can't, I can't tell you too how many times we've heard, you know, someone yelling at someone, and this is player to player, and just like you know, it just is insight into personalities and how people handle things and conversations that are going on on the side where it's coaching or amongst players and, you know, a veteran taking a youngster, a, a rookie under their wing and what they're having the conversation. Sean McCauley was doing that a lot yesterday in that small sided game with Justin McMaster and Dane St. Clair talking to him. So I, I think too, just that just gives me a little window into, into training and, and what the players in the coaching staff are like. Um, and I just think that's, that's super helpful because I'm a big reader of body language too. And I think, um, you know, teammates can read off the feed off of that as well. Yeah. I think it's really, um, I think for me, it's always giving me a sense of, of just how a little of the iceberg you see at a game. Um, because again, a, a game is two hours out of the week when this is a more than full-time job for the players and for the, for the coaching staff and that even getting, um, even going to training, you're only seeing, you know, if you're seeing 10% at, at the game, you're maybe getting up to 20%. If you go to, if you go to training, because there's just a lot that you're never going to sort of get to see as far as, you know, the players at mealtime, the players in lifting sessions that like all that stuff, the coaches in film sessions, like you don't, you don't get access to that stuff. You begin to just at least appreciate that there's so much more that goes on um, than you see. And also, but what you do get to see, like you're talking about body language and players and how they get at each other and stuff like that. It's one of those things that's always struck me about. Um, I'm going to pick out Ethan Finley in particular as a guy who, you know, he's, if you watch him on, on, on the field, you know, he has like a ceaseless motor, like he's always going. And I think it's, it's, you know, sometimes you see him, you're like, ah, oh, you're just going a hundred miles an hour. It's, you know, like he doesn't necessarily have the greatest um, take on dribble skills, like sort of like the ball handling, but you just know, he's going to give everything he has that extends into practice. If you ever see Ethan in practice, it's like, he never stops going at people. And I think that in itself is a tremendously valuable trait, you know, for a player to have. And it's a thing that coaches value because he's always going to be giving it his all, whatever he does yeah i think what was it we we might have said this yesterday okay at training that that ethan finlay is um he's about as blue collar as they come in terms of a professional soccer and i mean that in a positive light um and and i think um everybody needs somebody like an ethan finlay on, on a roster for sure he was the perfect signing for minnesota in 2017 um being the the expansion year and what have you um and um he is a little bit different to what Minnesota United have in terms of those wide options now as well. So, um, but the one thing that, that is, is obvious with Ethan Finlay is, is his work ethic, as you've insinuated already, Steve, um, and his want and, and lust to perform on a consistent basis. He's a wonderful professional, um, and I think would be um, a good signing for just about anybody in Major League Soccer and, and several leagues overseas as well. So I, I, I think he's a really good asset to Minnesota United. Um, and, and I just wonder now, my, my, my biggest thing moving forward, Steve, knowing 
of the signing that I'm sure we're going to talk about at some stage that's come in now, um, knowing Robin Lord's preferred position, knowing the emergence of Justin McMaster, I I wonder what what we consider now to be Ethan Finlay's role. Is he um, is he one of these players that that is going to have to be happy with coming off the bench, or what I'm expecting? Is he one of these players that will continuously fight in training and be knocking on the manager's door saying, hey, what, why am I not playing? Why am I not playing? I'm Ethan Finlay. I'm an MLS Cup finalist. I've got a couple of caps for the national team. Um, and as I said earlier on, Steve, he's very, very different to what they have um, compared to the, who I now consider to be the two starters in those wide positions. So I, I think he's a really good player to have around for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I love, I want to get into that. That's a lot of fun stuff, but I don't want to get all the way off of the track that I had started because now we're 10 minutes in. And I haven't even started with, the, with the, <laughs> where it was going to start. Um, let's, so this is sort of like a check-in, early season check-in. Um, we will get into signings that have, uh, announcements of signings that are coming out and, the, and sort of the impact of that stuff. Um, before we get there, I just sort of want to do a little uh, overview of the MLS season as a, as, a, as a sort of concept because one of the things that's always interesting to me is, you know, as we saw Minnesota United started the season before the season was expected to, uh, you know, be in, in one of the best teams in the West started on a four game skid, you know, like things are all get turned around once the, once the season starts, what, in, in your guys' opinion, um, I'll start with you, Kendra. What, what is the point during the season, a 34-game season, where you can sort of start telling who a team actually is? Like you sort of start to even out the, the noise of, of losses or facing unexpectedly good teams or unexpectedly bad teams. What's the point in the season where you can sort of start making those assessments of this, this is who this team is? Well, I think in the past, and maybe it even depends on the club, I would have said, you know, by the midway point. But then you had Seattle Sounders, who on more than one occasion didn't really flip the switch and turn it on until the second half of the season. They were kind of a second half of the season kind of team, and you could never count them out. And then all of a sudden, they became that. But I think uh, in general, I would honestly say the midpoint of the season. I don't write anybody off in the first six, seven games of the season. Um, and I, I even say that with some of the, the perennial or, you know, the bottom feeders, as we'll kind of call them, the ones that are always sort of sitting down and around the bottom of the Western Conference standings. And I'm, I'm just going to talk Western Conference right now because I think that's probably what most people are, are interested in um, that might be watching this. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Vancouver's had its struggles and then Colorado's kind of had its up and downs. And then who knows what Rail Salt Lake is going to be for sure because they've got no owner and can't spend a certain amount of money. Um, and as the coaching carousel continues, and I mean, I think we all had LA sitting at number two in the standings right now. And, and I mean, LA galaxy, <laughs> like, right. you know, and who had LAFC sitting at the bottom in 13th. And um, if I'm Bob Bradley, I'm a little bit worried about that team, but that's a team that I would think is going to turn this thing around is going to write the ship at some point, just based on the pure talent of that squad. But at the same time, there's certain times where you, you watch them and you're trying to figure out what they are. And normally with a Bob Bradley team, you know exactly what they are and what they're trying to do and what they're trying to accomplish. And right now, to me, they look a little bit um, disjointed. So, um, but to me, it's midpoint of the season. And then you can kind of start assessing the standings and they look a little bit more solidified and like, Hey guys, you might see some movement between two or three spots here and there up and down back and forth, especially now that we're playing mostly Western conference opponents, the way the schedule is, is built. Um, but I, w- I would say that that's my point. And even with the international break, even with kind of the wonkiness that we've, we're continuing with in 2021, I would say midpoint of the season is when you can really start to look at, at teams and say, this is who they are. They're not bouncing into the playoff picture and so-and-so is not dropping out. Yeah. Yeah. There's sort of those edge cases It's sort of, I feel like it eventually breaks down in conference to like your top two or three. And then the, the sort of a couple teams fighting for like, are they going to get home field or yes. not? Then the couple teams fighting around the bottom of the playoff line. And then it's like the ones who are sort of below those, you know, eight, nine spots. Like that's probably where you're staying. Does that, does that seem reasonable? Uh, and, and for a, a spot Cal, as far as like halfway through the season, is that imagine though, guys, if we had relegation, I would, <laughs> oh, that change cover. That's a whole other podcast. Oh my god, we're, we're not going to open up that one. We're just talking about the bottom of the the barrel there. You know, imagine how that changes, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> let's um, let's just put the lid back on that one, shall okay. we? Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as you you're right, that is a separate podcast for another day. Um, I I've always measured teams after about a third of the season, so about twelve to thirteen games. I think is when you 
you, you get to see um, at least what they've done in, in the opening third of the season. Um, but for me, I, I because Kindra said, especially in this league, in Major League Soccer, it's a league built on parity. So, as Kindra quite rightly said, how many times have the Sounders had a horrendous start and all of a sudden they've ended up in the playoffs and sometimes in the MLS Cup final, you know? So, um, it, it's, diff- it's more difficult in this league to judge be- because of the parity um, aspect of it. But I think, um, I've always said, I think after about 10 games, I think it's fair for the consumer to be able to, to give their opinion at that point, about 10 games in. Uh, I'm not sure, I'm not sure um, broadcasters, journalists, and people involved in the sport themselves can, can judge after 10 games because of the parity of MLS, but um, I think after 10 games or so is when the consumer can start perhaps making a point and, and give their opinion. But um, it, it's just so difficult in this league because of parity and because of the sort... I mean, how many times have, have we all done a podcast and we've said, don't fancy them this year or they'll be good this year and being completely wrong just because of that there's so many teams in this league that you have no idea what their approach is, how individuals are going to settle in whatever city they're in, how they're going to adapt to surroundings from a, a tactical point of view. Um, it, this is what, it, look, there's many, many things that makes this league very, very unique. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, uh, the unknown of it, I think, is still what makes it one of the most unique leagues in the world. And, yeah, I think that I, I sort of see, you know, these two points in some ways, I sort of feel like maybe after after a third of the season. So let's say in that 10 to 12 games, you start to be like, this is my sense of the team. And then the next couple of games up to that halfway point, you can then sort of say, like, is this is this theory being borne out? And then the halfway point is a little more fair. Oh, the, the Sounders are sort of an outlier in that way. I mean, like they've really sort of grabbed that thing that the Lakers used to do in, in the NBA where they were just like, well, let's just turn it on in the playoffs, you know, um, which I guess the Lakers did that last night, actually, uh, in the playing games against against the Golden State Warriors. A yeah. play-in game in the NBA. Like, a play-in, that? Yeah. not yeah. a playoff. That's- yeah, that's a whole nother thing. But to your point too, Cal and Steve, when we talk about at what point in the season and broadcasters and people that sort of live and breathe this this league compared to the consumer who just enjoys the game, we also may be paying a little bit more attention to injuries, who's been available, who's not been available, whereas others are, might just be you know paying attention to results. And that's fair. You know, I do that for other sports where I'm not living and breathing it every day. So Carlos Vela seeing, still being out for LAFC, and you, we know what a difference maker he is. So I think there's different things that um, each year it could be a little bit different. But in general, um, I would say by the midpoint, I can kind of get a feel for, okay, they've had some injuries. Other guys have stepped up. They, they had injuries. They, their guys didn't step up. And then it kind of shakes out for me on on who is going to be able to kind of withstand this crazy MLS schedule in the season and, and the wonkiness of the international breaks and everything else. Yeah, the international breaks definitely provide and and the fact of it, transfer windows and international transfer windows like more so than I mean, other sports, there's, there might be a blockbuster trade at the trade deadline or something like that. But in MLS, you have different points at which, you know, difference making players can come in uh, and change the complexion of a, of, of a season for a team entirely like in the in the middle of the season. I mean, we saw that with with Reynoso last year. Right. I mean, not changing the com- complexion entirely, but you look at Minnesota United before Reynoso and then after Reynoso. So is two sort of entirely distinct entities. Let's let's use that opportunity to switch and talk a little bit about the arrivals of Adrian Unu and Fra- I'm trying to switch accents here. Franco Fragapane, uh, who uh, announced uh, Fragapane's uh, contract was announced yesterday that he's signing with Minnesota United. Uh, the expectation is that they should at least be available for the game against RSL. Uh, who knows exactly where they're going to fall in terms of uh, readiness for availability. It's sort of a weird, they're coming again at this time where we've had, we've had six games. We have like a two week break, one game, and then like a three week break. So it's going to be a little bit, 
weird to judge. Um, you know, it's hopefully it gives both of them kind of a nice runway. Like I think this RSL game is going to end up being sort of a weird outlier as far as just how the team feels because things could be completely different in three weeks. But let's just start by talking about you know the the arrival of these two players who are expected to provide a lot in that attacking uh, front four. Cal, let's talk. Uh, let's talk to you first about that. Oh, we have no audio from Cal. He's okay. Kendra, let's talk to you first. I was going to say that's the best Cal's ever sounded. No, I'm just <laughs> totally kidding because uh, we get I get lots of compliments on Cal and his broadcast. <laughs> he, he carries the, he carries the load. But for me, this is what another thing. One another one of those things. It's all about depth for me and quality of depth. Because when anytime you have an international player, regardless of how t- touted, highly touted they come in regardless of what club they are coming in from, you never know for sure what you're going to get, right? You never know how they're going to adjust to this league, adjust to MLS. It is a very different league than anything they've probably ever played before. And and the travel is a big thing. I mean, we've heard that from so many coaches and players that have come into this league. So just on paper and what you can watch of the players actually playing in their prior leagues and their prior teams, absolutely. So I think... Um, Massive additions in the attacking front four. And to me, this is about ball retention, possession, and creativity in the final third. That's what you're going to get from an attacking midfielder and a winger that are so good and and can finish and can create. We saw what Emmanuel Reynoso can do when he plays with Robin Lud, when he played in, in 2020 with Kevin Molino, when Ethan Finley is at his best cutting inside and combining, when Hassani Dotson is that kind of player as well. And I've said this time and time again to Cal. This is what's important to me is that you have players that can combine in tight spaces in and along the edge of the 18. And you're no longer just a service team, you know, whipping balls in from the wing. That's more just like an alternate option if you need to switch up the attack. And um, I think Fregapane and Unu are going to be fantastic additions. I hope they acclimate to the United States, to Minnesota, to Minneapolis, to this club and to this league really well. And I do agree with you, Steve. I think this RSL game is a bit of an outlier. And everybody that we have talked to, I asked Watto about it yesterday. We asked Manny about it. We've asked Adrian about it. Is it a positive or a negative that you just won two games and now you have this kind of weird break where you have one game in four weeks? They all seem to think it's a positive and it couldn't come at a better time because just rest, rejuvenate, almost a second preseason for some of these guys with new players, even Abela, who was thrown into the mix quickly. Now you get time to adjust with them in, in, in the mix as well. Yeah, that's <clears throat> it's going to be I feel like it's probably going to be that for uh, a bunch of teams. I mean, not a, every team has has this bye week that's coming in right now. Um, but, you know, you look at a lot of teams, uh, Columbus, Toronto, Portland, LAFC, probably all teams that haven't started the season uh, in quite the fashion that they that they expected to start the season. And that, you know, this is a chance to get a little bit of I think I said it before, like a little runway into yes. sort of acclimating these guys. And and as you said, the, the travel thing is to me, I think that's one of the things that you, it's not considered often um, because we're sort of used to it. And we see, you know, teams flying in other sports all over the country and everything like that. I mean, MLS is now has been using charter flights um, because of the COVID pandemic, but they were flying, you know, commercial before. And just basically, uh, you know, that was like anybody would fly. It means you have to get to the airport, you know, two hours ahead of time, you spend time waiting in the gate, you fly, you, you like all that stuff. It's, it just, it sort of chips away, you know, and you think about other leagues where in England, you know, you're talking about like a couple hour bus yeah. ride to your farthest, you know, you, you could know. just drive to the other stadium, right, Cal? Like right. Did, did guys just drive to another stadium in England? Sorry, I just really didn't want to talk about Franco Fragapane then for a second. You just bounced um, out. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, you can, um, you know, most days. Now, I think it's changing a little bit because I think there's there's more um, in terms of people are, are thinking about the mindset of, of the individual from a psychological, but also from a physical point of view as well. There's more times now that we see teams will drive to, say, for example, if you are playing in London and you're in Birmingham, that's about an hour and a half, two hour drive. Um, or, or they, they may very well get the train, uh, which tends to be a little bit quicker in the UK. Um, and they will stay the night before uh, in the hotel because you have to remember as well, guys, most of the time in England, the kickoffs are at three o'clock in the afternoon. The latest one is usually 5.15 in the afternoon. So it's, mm-hmm. it can be difficult going down the day of, you know. So, um, but yeah, to answer the question, Kay, yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you do tend to, to drive and then... Um, 
the the day of the game, you often find yourself in 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 your own bed, which um, it, it it can be quite comforting at times. I must admit, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and sort of the same deal for you know in in France and a lot of these, le- you know, they're sort of within a country which is re- relatively small. If you look at one of those maps that shows actual sizes of different countries, you know, like not based on the Mercator projection or anything like that, you realize how different how different the size of countries are than you would perceive them. And you're talking about these flights from you know, imagine team, you know, when you, we fly to Vancouver, it's several hours to get uh, a flight to get to Vancouver you're changing you're going through two time zones like it's it's a lot um and it's a long season and so that and so to sort of get the chance to sort of get these guys in uh you know you get a flight to RSL you get to play at altitude which is a great first experience probably and then come back and sort of get in you know three solid weeks of of training uh into these new guys i think it it'll be great let's um let's go back and 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 talk a little bit about um sort of these early results and sort of obviously what we're hoping to change from uh you know with these a four game losing streak and then two wins which were about as narrow as they come you know when you're talking about scoring a goal in the the 94th minute uh it's probably not the way uh you know adrian would prefer to win games going forward by a single goal in stoppage time so um first of all cal let's go to you since you're back and now we don't have to talk about fragapane you can just talk about uh the, the, the four game skid which we obviously touched on before on the podcast but you know now that we've seen a four game losing streak and then a two game winning streak here again we talked about how futile it is to sort of judge teams after something like six games but what do you see as the sort of curve like is the team figuring something out or 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 how is it going i think steve so first of all uh, as you mentioned already we we covered the the o and four staff on, on both podcasts here extensively um so we'll, we'll address that first and, and i'll sort of put a bow on it i think by saying look Every team in every sport, to my knowledge, um, goes through a bad run at some stage in their regular season. It just so happened that the bad run came at Minnesota United's uh, start of the season. Um, What I think it does now is it it gives you less margin for error, um, for sure. But um, never did I think that was going to define the season at all. I I just thought it was a bad run. and once Minnesota got themselves a victory, I, I thought they would be okay. So um, that's all easier said than done, though, isn't it? Just just getting a victory. Um, and they, they've done it. And, and Kendra and I were talking about this, and I've spoken to this uh, about this with a few people as well. It would have been good, and it would have been um, really good to, to have beaten Vancouver and Dallas, you know, 3-4-0 and play this lovely, expansive, fast-flowing football and, um, you know, done it, done it comfortably. But actually, I think the manner in which they've won both games, particularly the Dallas game um, with the 94th minute winner, I actually think it, it it takes more of the pressure off of the shoulders. And there is a, an even bigger sigh of relief, you know, because if you do it comfortably and you win 2-3-0, it's like, oh, OK, you know, what, what were we worried about? You know, we'll, we'll be OK. But in actual fact, I think what it does is it, it may very well, as a player, you might, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Kendra, you might take your foot off the gas a little bit um, because you're thinking, oh, what were we worried about? We were okay. But the fact that it wasn't as free-flowing and, and as expansive and they had to win in the manner in which they did and they did it so late, I think there's still plenty of, of evidence to suggest that the pedal needs to be pushed a lot more. Um, the question is now, will will they continue with that approach and continue to, to press on, on the pedal? I, I hope so, and I would assume so, because... It's obvious there's still a lot more work to do, but but I, I do think that winning in the manner in which they they did, um, there's usually with a last minute winner a lot more cause for celebration as well, just because of the nature of it. Um, but I do think as well that the the sigh of relief is even bigger than what a two or three nil win would have been. And as I said earlier on, I think there's still plenty of evidence to suggest right. Yes, they won, but there's still a lot of work to do, and the coaching staff and the players will all know that for sure. Yeah, there's definitely something to be said for the idea that those blowout wins that you have in a season really don't. I mean, they just feel weird. You know, if you think about like that 7-1 win over Cincinnati uh, that Minnesota United had in 2019 or even like Darwin Quintero's hat trick, uh, you know, they, they're like, it's great and it's fun. But you're like, is this it just feels weird and it's not like a pattern or a thing that you can sort of build from. Um, but Kendra, like 
again, you know, sort of from a player's perspective, as somebody who's played the game at, 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 at a higher level than I have, certainly, um, you know, what is your feeling about that versus, you know, like in terms of how you get those wins and what those what a, what a, a close, gritty win can do for you as far as just reinforcing like, yeah, we're getting better, but there's more work that needs to be done. Well, and I think it's very similar too, um, in that the, the blowout win feels more like a fluke than almost because that day at that moment, everything is going your way, right? Everything is falling. Everything is dropping. Now you still have to create the chances that are going your way, uh, like a Darwin Quintero hat trick, or you, you know, you still have, it's not that there's not skill involved um, or effort involved, but I do think that these last two wins showed that Minnesota United could win in different ways. And I, and I say that even for the Vancouver win, because there they had a narrow lead and they held onto it. They found a way to close it out and get the points. And I think that was also very important to Adrian Heath, how they won that game. The fact that they didn't make mental errors. They didn't make mistakes. They kept possession of the ball. They made the right choices in tough spots on the field to not try to do too much and be simple and came away with a one, nothing win. And then on the other hand, you had a second game in the week. So they played Wednesday and then Saturday, essentially the same guys, very few substitutions in the second half of that match where these guys were gutting it out and finding a way to get the late game winner. So two different, you know, close wins for me, but both equally as important in how they won the game. And even when Cal and I were talking ahead of our matches and in that four game losing streak is, well, what are we going to say if they lose this game? How are we going to handle it? And I kept saying, well, I think it kind of depends on how they lose. You know, that makes a difference in mm-hmm. how you're talking about it. And to me, it's the same way with how did they win the game? And I thought that the way they won those two games showed a lot of resilience, a lot of heart, a lot of ho- cohesiveness and how they were handling it and making the right decisions and closing the game out. So um, I just thought those are two fabulous wins. Yeah, nothing to like write home about. I think every player you talk to would say it wasn't pretty soccer, but they found a way to get it done. And there were moments of pretty soccer in there, just not a 90 minutes of pretty soccer in either match. So thank goodness for the turnaround. Yeah, I will say as well, Steve, I think in in this moment when they were 0-4, I think that's where the importance of the, the 1-0 victories come out. I, I think moving on into the season when they have a, a healthy record and whatnot and you win 3 or 4-0, th- those things need to be praised. Those wins need to be identified as, right, this team is really, really good right now. And as I said earlier on, it would have been great to, to have those over the last week or so, but they weren't a necessity. They weren't needed. You just needed to win. And Minnesota, as Kendra said, they, they found a way to, to do it in, in different ways as well. But I just think because of the manner of, of the victories, there was a huge weight lifted off the shoulders. And now I fully do expect at some stage, particularly at Allianz Field, Minnesota will beat several opponents 3-4-0. Yeah, um, I'm going to give you my take uh, after I after I do this read. When injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team. You're always close to the care you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. All right, did that set me up properly for this? Um, so I, I, I mean, I think there's a couple different perspectives and a couple different ways to look at it. I, uh, I had written an article, uh, uh, beyond the box article, which is where you sort of delve into some sort of nitpicky elements of, of games, basically looking at, um, some of the analytical elements of it and looking through the lens of sort of expected goals, which again, is a thing that we've talked about in the podcast before. And it's, it's just sort of a quantitative way to measure like good chances. You hear Adrian talk about it all the time. Like we're creating opportunities, but we're not finishing them, things like that. So expected goals is just a way to look at that, to say like, how good were the chances you were getting, whether you finished them or not. Um, and if you sort of look through that lens, you can sort of see that like, you know, the Seattle game was, was tough. I think you can see that Seattle is actually a much better team than we thought they were going to be this season. I mean, the, their results are pretty, are pretty clear. They're on top of the Western conference and have a goal differential. That's like miles beyond the next, the next closest team. So, uh, so Seattle is quite good. The, the, the two games on either side of the Austin game, the, the, uh, were actually the, the RSL game and the Colorado game were actually pretty close as far as expected goals. And I think you sort of saw that it was like they hinged on a couple mistakes a couple little problems expected goals for both teams were fairly close in that in those two games so i think again that's a a question of margins and we've talked about it before uh, on the podcast the question of the colorado rapids and sort of fatigue and sort of the team flagging late and things like that the austin game was just atrocious from that perspective like i think minnesota's expected goals were about half of what austin's were and they just it was a that was a bad game 
you saw on the two wins, you know, Minnesota doing a much better job of creating chances and a much better job of limiting good chances on the other side, as far as how the expected goals go. And again, it's not, it's not a blowout yet. You know, you, again, it's a, a one nil game. It's, it's, it's pretty close, but you can sort of see that again, I think maybe the, 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 the takeaway is that the four game losing streak was, was not as dire as it looked um, necessarily. And that the two game winning streak, it doesn't mean that everything's fixed. It means you're on the, on, on the path back. And I think that's, that's sort of looking through that lens. It's like, it sort of brings down how terrible things sort of seemed and sort of maybe tamps down a little bit saying like, we've figured it all out, which I think is sort of echoes what you guys are saying from your perspectives as well. I think the last thing I'll say about this is that it was exacerbated by two things for me. One that we never had that happen to us in 2017, which yeah. seems mind boggling. And, no, you know, people like want to remember and forget 2017 at the same time, just because of the transition into MLS. And then also the fact that like Minnesota United was picked by several and we thought to be high up in the table, you know, at the end of the season and contending for possibly an MLS cup you know, because of the nature of the way 2020 ended and how good this team looked at moments. And regardless of losing Kevin Molino or not, people still felt good about this roster. So again, it was early on, but I think those were two things that exacerbated the 0-4 start and the thoughts about it. And even from within the club and and amongst my, you know, ourselves and and myself included, that you just don't want to go down that path. And that was, you know, you felt like the ship was going to be righted, but there's always kind of a pit in your stomach when you start out that way. Yeah, it's what it's 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 one of those things where if 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 one of those games if one of the, if the game against Colorado or RSL had been a draw even um or or both of those had ended up draws which they could which they could have it would you know the the season would be looking a lot different but it's like it's again it, and it's one of my favorite quotes which I originally I don't think it originates with Brent Coleman but he's the first person I remember talking to you about it, where he said soccer is cruel and that's just the thing is like and it sort of goes into that blowout uh, thing as well like in, in in I always compare things to the NBA. I'm sorry. I'm sure everybody's sick of this, but you know, when you have a, a, a blowout win in the NBA, like every possession is not impacted by what happens on the possession before it. Like it's not, it, it, I mean, it is to a certain extent, but in soccer, what you often see in the four nil loss at Seattle is a great example of this. It was a two nil game. And then Minnesota is just chasing and then you start hemorrhaging goals. And so it's like, it's one of those sports where like, when it's a blowout that doesn't necessarily reflect what the texture of the game was like it was a closer game than it 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 looked because you start giving up things on one end as you try to push forward and get something out of it on the other end so you know again it's it's one of these one of these weird things where um results can be cruel as (laughs) as brent common said basically let's take a moment we're going to do a little we're going to take some questions at the end here i believe our producer tyson is going to line up some some questions have been coming in as we've been streaming so we'll uh we'll take some of those and address that stuff um let's uh i wanted to ask about guys on the team so far who you felt have really stood out and looked um you know good so far this season uh i'm going to shout out uh metonier who looked fantastic uh in the this past game uh and just one of the showing some of that uh that flair from uh his first season here where it just felt like he was all the way up and down the field constantly and just doing things whatever he could to keep the ball uh i really enjoyed watching uh, metnir who's my new adopted son uh i guess let's start with uh kendra let's uh you know like wh- who's somebody who you who sort of stood out to you or maybe shown you something you didn't expect uh before the season well you know and this may not be a fair selection but i'm going to actually go with ozzy alonzo in the sense that i really didn't know what to expect from him in 2021 i think we saw his injury issues in 2021 and kind of the stop start season that he had we all know clearly what he's capable of in the player that Ozzy Alonso is and the leader that he is, but then also starting out with a little bit of a niggling injury in 2021, I didn't know what that was going to mean for him and how he was going to, you know, kind of fit back in. And I thought he stepped right in that match and played 67 minutes followed by 90. I was insanely impressed with that. And it didn't look to me like he missed a beat. He held down the fort with um, Will Trapp in the center of midfield. I was um, excited about that pairing and how they could, they could work together. So he pleasantly surprised me in that. I just didn't know what to expect 
coming back into 2021. And I think the only other player that I think I was super have, have been really impressed with, and this may not be another fair one, but Tyler Miller, I mean, double hip impingement surgery, you know, we saw him walking around with his crutches last year when he was on our broadcast, you know, and hardly being able to sit down and move. And you just don't know how players are going to come back physically or mentally, especially when it's a goalkeeping position. And he didn't get the starting nod from the get go. This is a guy who, you know, supporter shield winner with LAFC in the national team camps in the past. And all of a sudden now he's been bumped. He's been Wally pipped out of his position from the 2020 season, having dealt with an injury and Dane St. Clair stepping up and playing well. So kudos to Tyler Miller for, for stepping back in and not letting, um, not letting it, you know, he, he said to me the other day on the radio, I did a radio interview and he was like, I, I'm like a rock in the bottom of the river where the water, everything flows around me and I can't change it. I can only control myself. And that's like his mindset. Now he's got this like <laughs> mantra. And I just thought um, I've been impressed with how he handled that. And then how he stepped right in and did really well. Yeah. Those are both, those are both good shots. But uh, Cal, what about, what about you? First person I want to highlight him for doing well, because I don't think people give him enough credit because I think we forget that he's playing out of position is, is Robin Lourdes. Um Again, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think he's done ever so well. He's been involved in four of five Minnesota's, uh, five of Minnesota's goals. Um, and I, I don't think people, um, because he does it so well, I think people forget that he's actually played out of position for the majority of, of the, the season so far. But the one I really want to focus on is Mr. Consistency himself, and that's Michael Boxall. Um, again, uh, centre-half pairings, um, alongside him, two different goalkeepers behind him. Um, he has to continuously deal with uh, attacking-minded fullbacks, uh, which is, is great in the system, uh, but it often means he has to come across and cover. Um, I, I think his man-marking has been superb. Uh, his reading of the game has been wonderful. Uh, and you start to wonder, you know, at the age of 32, Sometimes you see players lose a little bit of a step or at least half a step. And, and so far, he doesn't look like he's lost anything. And, um, I, I think he's been a tremendous servant to the club. And um, we, We've said it on, on a few occasions now, but let, let's not forget as well, since Michael Boxall came into the club mid-2017, he's had eight different partners at centre-back. And he's just not missed a beat throughout the entirety of that time. So um, to me, he's, he's Mr. Consistent. And again, someone who I don't think gets anywhere near the credit he deserves. Uh, excellent. I am a long time and well-known boxy fan and, uh, he's been doing good. I think, um, the only, the other one I would add is I think that, I think that, uh, Will Trapp has been, has been quite good, um, in, in a, in a quiet role. Again, I think he, you know, he's not somebody who's going to break a game, uh, wide open, but I think he's been very valuable and has grown into his position. Um, you know, as, as, as the games have gone on, uh, also a shout out for Yuka, uh, Raitala, who's again, sort of playing out of position and left center back right now. And I think has been good enough, at least for the time being, it's been tough. Um, and I think that, but I think he's shown some good passing out of the back and uh, has been a valuable uh, player to step in there in a position that we've needed because um, the bossy is not back yet, which that'll be great to get him. I'm going to close that can of worms. Also, we're going to go to Q and a um, so that we can get this in before the end of this. Uh, a couple of questions. Uh, I'm going to shoot from the hip for you guys here. Uh, Harrison law thoughts on the parlay kits. Have you guys gotten a chance to sort of really get a good look at these parlay kits? I did. I did get a glimpse. I can't say that I was all over social media all morning because I was at my daughter's mass this morning and it's not really a good thing to have your phone out. But I heard that we absolutely blew up the internet with our release of the parlay kit and how awesome um, the club did. So shout out to all those involved with that because I know that takes a lot of work. But I always love the parlay stuff that has been put out. I got the parlay shoes a couple of years ago. And I get so many compliments on those kicks whenever I wear them around. So um, I just, I love the cause. I love the idea. And so I think any look that goes along with it, I think is pretty sweet, but I, I'm a big fan. Nice. Cal, what about you? Yeah, same. I'll echo exactly what Kay said there. You know, I absolutely um, agree. And, and I think it's great that um, we're doing it for the cause and what have you. And uh, they, they've always looked good. Um, and they, they always tend to look better with Minnesota United winning them as well. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. I, li- I like the parlay kits. Uh, you know, I think that the first one was my favorite uh, that we had. I think also the just the spirit of it is fantastic. Um, as far as oh, as far as Kendra, that as was the as, video. That was the video. I just pulled up. Everybody, go watch the parlay kit video. It's fantastic. Um, I, I think the cause is fantastic, and 
getting you know plastic out of the ocean is one of, is a tremendously important thing. So uh, let's talk about uh, Nico Hansen questions. Update on Nico Hansen. Um, as far as I know, I talked to Nico last week, and and you know it's it's sort of a what I would call a nagging injury. It appears and a thing that he said he doesn't always feel, but it's one of those things that shows up on the scope and a thing that could really be uh, could really he could re-injure easily. So they're you know trying to figure out ways to work around it. I don't know if you guys have heard anything different or more recently than that. Um, we spoke to Adrian Heath, uh, who was. Uh, a bit frustrated, really, that, that he's not been able to use Nico Hansen um, because I, I think we all saw the preseason that he had. And, and I think it's safe to say, had Nico Hansen have been available, he would have started that opening game in Seattle. Um, so I, I think the last we had heard was that um, Nico Hansen seems to be OK. He's still not training in full. He, he's still sort of training off to the side and doing his own thing, uh, still running in very... Uh, very, very straight lines. Um, there's not a lot of turning on, on his movements at the moment. Um, but um, everything seems to be okay, but the, the scans suggest otherwise. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see and be patient with that one, I think. I think it's a blessing and a curse sometimes, all the medical technology <laughs> that we have, because I think if you ask Nico, he'd probably say that he feels pretty good. But, mm-hmm. you know, you, you don't want to question the scans either. And I think they were shocked that maybe the scan looked like it did um, based on how Nico said he was feeling and that he was healing. So um, I think just being cautious right now and um, the fact that they knew they had this break coming up, why not just give him a little bit more time? That's just my pure you know, speculation and observation on it. But I, I mean, it'll be another fantastic addition when they get him back in the lineup because we saw what he did in preseason and when he was with Houston. Yeah, it's one of those things. Some of the injuries, I think Debassi fits into this a little bit too. And I know it's a, a thing that Adrian has mentioned where it's like, you know, it, they're, they're, they look pretty good. Right now, you don't have a game this week. You have one game next week and then another three weeks. Like, do you put a guy into a game, you know, when it, it's one game and then you're, there's going to be another break or do you just sort of focus on the the rehabilitation and try to get everybody as right as possible for like the pickup after the international break? I think it's seems reasonable. All right. Uh, what is next? Let's see. Sean Doyle asks, do we have anyone to help pull pressure from Reynoso? The guy is sworn without any corner threats to support. Well, I think, we have the answer and that some guys are going to be coming for that. Uh, <laughs> is that, is that how we feel, uh, Cal? Yeah. You, you've answered the question. Absolutely spot on there, Steve. We, we have other people that will attract attention for sure. And the way that uh, Unu plays as well, he'll be that high pressing forward that Minnesota have needed. Uh, he will absolutely drag bodies out of position. He will distract a lot of bodies away from Daniel Reynolds for sure. I will say the other thing, and I've had this conversation with Cal before, and this was prior to the additions, and I still think even with, you know, just Robin Lewis and Tommy Dotson and their ability to attack and create and combine, um, I think the other focus is, is just that they need a scoring threat that is going to come in as those late runs on top of the box. And we haven't had that from Jan Gregush. And they're missing that because I do think that alleviates some of the pressure on Reynoso in a different way, in the sense that, like, if you have a late run that's coming on top of the box, he can be a scoring threat if you know he's going to put something on frame and it opens up the space on the edge of the 18 for Reynoso to combine and work some of that magic with Hassani Dotson, Robin Lud, and the incoming players that we have now. So if Jan Gregus can continue to work on that, then I think that, you know, and, and or just have someone that's a scoring threat from that eight position, um, mm-hmm. that would help also in Reynoso and just relieve some of that pressure and create more space for him. Yeah, there's sort of this domino effect that can kind of happen where, um, you know, like as you get more people and you can move other people into different positions. And that's one of those things where I think that, you know, we've seen how effective Vasani Dotson can be attacking from that number eight position. And he's got that cannon of a leg uh, to get some other shots in and sort of be that secondary attack. If you've got a left wing, you can move Hassani Dotson out of that position. You know, you can sort of like then then you get Fragapani in and put him in the left wing. You can move Hassani into using him in a, in a midfield role. Uh, that opens up other things, you know, again, it's like, and I think as people have noticed, you know, obviously missing Molino last year really gave him that, that Reynoso, that counterweight where Molino could focus on being sort of that making runs into the box in behind and sort of being a guy where if Reynoso can beat a, a defender or even better beat two defenders and get it to, to Molino, Molino will make them pay either with a shot or with that second pass. 
it's not quite there yet for Hassani and Lud. It, like Lud is a great player, and I, again, as we said, I think underrated. But he's not like going to be a quick bang bang decision uh, playmaker slash scorer. It's sort of like he needs a little more space on either side of those things. And when you give him that space, like he had last season uh, with Reynoso and Molino, he could be extremely dangerous. If you get Fragapane and Unu, and they're and they're dangerous in that way, it's going to open up things for a lot of people. Okay, Matt Axelson. I uh, think there's any chance the club seeks out another center back for the roster this season. Um, this is a good question. Uh, Kendra. I say no. And I just say that based on some of the rotation that they have and the quality of the depth that they currently have, and assuming that everybody is healthy and available to play, I think there's enough other players that can slot in that position um, that if they need to rotate and need to have them play in that position, and we're fortunate in that um, they have two left-footed center backs available in Yuka and um, and Debasi, and then Chase obviously just plays left left back. But I think there's enough options there that they don't need to go and find another center back. What about you, Cal? I say yes. Um, and uh, I, I what I will say on this is that I, I think they will add a center back this season with the mindset that that centre-back will be used in seasons to come. Um, so I'm suggesting they're going to go and get a, a young centre-back who can perhaps be a part of the roster for a couple of years, I think. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's been talked about before, the 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 age of the centre-back, uh, you know, sort of core, if you're looking at um, uh, Boxel and Debassi and, and Coleman, uh, they're all in that early thirties hitting that early thirties point. And so the question is like, who is coming in um, behind them? Uh, you know, obviously there's Callum Montgomery who, uh, you know, hasn't, hasn't seen the field yet. Um, uh, Nabi Cuban uh, Gucci who can play center back, I believe. Um, I'm, I'm not sure his, his position is completely secured yet, but that's, that's definitely one of the options you've got. Yuka Raitala who can slot in at the center back position. I mean, I think it's one of those situations where if you see the right opportunity, um, is there a chance? Yes. you know like but is that opportunity there like where do you find this player like how are you going to to get them there's certainly questions with the team I think as the team goes forward and you know again the 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 goalkeeping depth for example on the team is uh extraordinary right now um to have uh that many goalkeepers who are who are solid so there has you know like if you're looking to make a trade and you're looking to sort of establish this is the one one eight this is the first choice goalkeeper and we have our backup and then what do we do with the with the rest of this this uh talented core maybe that's a, a, a situation in which you try to make a move that you can move from a position of strength to get something back that can strengthen you in the center back position. It doesn't seem impossible. Um, all right. We have one more question, I believe also from Matt Axelson. Uh, who sees the pitch first? DJ Taylor, uh, Nico Hansen, Callum Montgomery, or Nabi Cuban Gucci. What do you guys think? I'm going to think about that one. This Nico is like, I Hansen. Could ask, I could ask the question and then you guys can answer while I think about it. Okay, Nico, it's Nico Han- Hansen for me. I think that he will see the pitch first out of that group. Okay, what does what does Cal say? Yep, yep, absolutely agree. Once once he's available, um, absolutely no question about it. Nico Hansen will see the field first. <sighs> All right. Well, I'm gonna have to go counter. I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna say that if if. Well, and this is like, if they're all healthy, Nico Hansen, if Nico's injury persists, I could maybe see DJ Taylor coming on first. If, if Nico can't do anything, because DJ has some of that like utility guy, you might just need a body and he's been in the 18 and yeah, maybe he gets, maybe he gets thrown out there in a position of need because something happens. So I, but I just, I'm just doing that to be contrary and give, uh, another take. Otherwise, if they're all healthy, I think Nico goes first. And I love Nico. He's great. Uh, I've really enjoyed talking to him. Uh, and uh, and he was great in preseason. So I'd love to see him out there again. Okay. Uh, that's all we have time for. Thanks for joining us for the 145th Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. You can follow Kendra at Kendra Sports. You can follow Cal at Cal Williams Com. You can follow me at Steve Venturis. Uh, be sure to tune in for the uh, the 
broadcast preview uh, podcast, which is the companion podcast to the Sound of the Loons. Uh, it'll be back. Uh, I don't know. Are you guys doing a separate one this week, or are we just doing this one? Probably just I think it's week. just this. Yeah, I think it's just this one this week. We'll really hammer down on RSL it's, next week. We'll break big, it all down. That's right. It's a bye week. <laughs> let's re- rehabilitate. Let's get back healthy for the for, for next week. So, uh, so check <laughs> check them out next week. Apologies as always to Richard Wagner, and remember. There's only one person in this whole world like you, and people can like you exactly as you are.